0: All right. Well, my wife and I had the privilege and the joy of homeschooling our kids. And I will never forget the day when I came home and I saw my son sitting at our kitchen table, and he had a marshmallow sitting there in front of him. And I said, Justin, what are you doing? And he said, I'm giving myself the marshmallow test. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, if I don't eat this marshmallow right away, I'm going to give myself two. I don't know what that says about my family and my kids, that they had free access to all the marshmallows that they wanted, and they self-administered exercises in self-control. But pray for me, pray for my kids. The marshmallow test actually tells us two things. And both are going to have implications for our message this morning on self-control. The premise, of course, of the marshmallow test was uh, the the inventor of this test had this idea that self-regulation, self-control, and in particular um, uh, self-denial, having having the ability to sort of see into the future uh, what self-denial could do in the moment, you know, down the line. So he came up with this idea. You, you saw the premise on that video, you can have this marshmallow right now, but project into the future. If you wait a few minutes, you can have two. This delayed gratification can serve you well in life. Well, he then went on to follow these, the lives of these uh, children um, for many for many decades, actually, and it played out just as he thought. He kind of he scripted it that way, actually. So people that showed the ability for delayed gratification, for self-control, had all kinds of successes later in life. They had a higher graduation rate, higher degree of getting undergraduate degrees, of getting master degrees, of getting doctorate degrees, higher uh, level of income, uh, uh, less less divorce. So all kinds of metrics just said, yes, of course, This idea of self-control, delayed gratification can serve you well in life. So we're gonna learn a lesson on self-control, it can serve us well. People became a little suspect though of the test. It revealed something else as well. It revealed the stability of those kids' homes. When they probed a little bit further, when they dug a little bit deeper, and here's an obvious one, because you could tease this out, and it is worth some reflection. For example, if a young person came in and that a young person was experiencing food instability in their house what do you think they did the moment they had an opportunity for a marshmallow they they, they took it so there were problems in the study both are going to have implications for us and it's this simple and this profound we will be served well by self denial by self-regulation, by delayed gratification, by, as this fruit of the Spirit calls us to, to exercise self-control. That will serve us well in life. But here's the bonus we have as a people of faith. We have a very reliable Lord and Savior that we can count on to provide everything that we stand in need of. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? That's the great hope of our, of our faith, is that we really, really have a solid rock and secure foundation on which to stand for our self. Control. So that is, of course, what we are going to be talking about here this morning. Uh, We're into the final of our Fruit of the Spirit series. Say the fruits if you know them. We are invited to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to grow in our lives by abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness and today self-control. And there is no more important fruit for us than self-control to talk about today. Okay, if you've been a part of the series, you know, but this is the, this is the beautiful reality. There's there's no contradiction in that. Uh, just that that belief that whenever God brings something forward in his word, that is the word for us to hear in that day, in that moment for that season of life. So we need to hear a word on self-control today, and and, and this is a good word. So what is self-control? It is obviously the ability to control the self, but we might push that a little bit deeper and say it could also be the ability to control our thoughts and our desires. It has been said this, simply put, that temptation is desire plus opportunity, right? Temptation is desire plus opportunity. That's not the full picture. We might say that temptation would more specifically be sinful desire plus opportunity. Because here's an absurd situation. Ah, you know, Robin, I saw our neighbor pull in the other day and all, she had all three kids with her. And the trunk of uh, their car was filled with groceries. And uh, the cat ran out when they opened the garage. And I was so tempted to step in and help. But I resisted that. And I just did not intervene. I did not put myself in that situation. I showed great self. No, that's, that's ridiculous. No, that's actually what we pray for. We pray that we would have the desire to do good. And the opportunity to do good and that we would do good. We Would, see, would anybody see a problem with that? I, please nod your head, no, George, there's no problem with having the desire to do good and having opportunities and following through. That's what we're nurturing in the Christian life. That's what it means to love our neighbors. We want to love our neighbors. We want to serve them well. We seek, and we even work to create opportunities to do those good works. So, Self-control needs to intersect when we have this idea, of course, of we have a desire for something and there's something in us, something prodding us, something, you know, tweaking our conscious that says that desire, that combined with maybe an opportunity, that wouldn't be helpful. So something's only going to be tempting us if we have the desire and the opportunity. Let me pick on one that, you know, we can easily pick on because nobody's going to really... Um, say a nicotine addiction is a good thing. We know that nicotine is one of the most addictive chemicals out there, and and many people struggle with an addiction to nicotine. I blessedly, wonderfully raised in was raised in a family where my parents would have beat me if I ever uh, was smoking cigarettes. So I joke, but no, I just I didn't do it, so I don't have that. So I can walk by a smoke shop and there is zero desire, all opportunity. I could walk down an alley and. And, um, young hoodlum kids could say, hey, old man, smoke a cigarette. And they could mock me and tease me. And I'd, be, and, I'd, and I'd say, I have all the opportunity in the world, but I have zero desire. So there's not really a temptation in that for me. Praise be to God, right? Let's take this example, though. I do, however, have quite the sweet tooth. And here before me, I have the desire and the opportunity No, so I have the desire, so what, here's, so here's the reality then. We have to combine that desire and that opportunity. That has actually been the story of human existence right from the Garden of Eden. You see, right from the Garden of Eden, it turns out there was desire that wasn't glorifying to God, and there was opportunity And that's why it's called the temptation. And the tempter comes in and says, look at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was desire and there was opportunity. And our spiritual parents and Adam and Eve fell into this sin that puts us into this situation where sinful desire then, not just the desire to do good, not just the desire to love God, to love my neighbor, to do all these wonderful things, sinful desire and sinful opportunity began to creep into the human experience. Now, on the other side of that, let's say this. Now, God did a beautiful thing for us, and we're going to unpack here what God does. First, God removed, in a sense, the opportunity. We are told in that story that it would be a horrible tragedy, tragedy upon tragedy, if we would take from the tree of eternal life and then be eternally lost in a state of sin. So we were removed east of Eden. We were removed from the possibility to have eternal life in our sinful state. So a guardrail, a boundary, a border was set. We removed the opportunity to remain in a state of sin for us. That's a beautiful thing. We're going to unpack that a little bit more here in just a moment. But God also began doing a different thing, another thing in our lives. And you can guess what that other thing is. God wasn't just going to remove some opportunity for sin in our lives. God was going to begin this process of wanting to remove from us the desire for sin. And that has been the work of God in the life of his people and in the community of faith, working a new desire renewed hearts transform lives even to the point as we'll unpack being born again such that we could be born into a life where we would not even have the desire to do those things that would not glorify god that would not bless our neighbors and that would do no good to us hallelujah and amen we have the opportunity to to the opportunity to begin to experience that transform heart that transform life those new desires by the fruit of the spirit by the power the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we hold on to the promise of the day when Christ will return, as we just so beautifully sang in that last hymn, and then we will be removed not just from the opportunity for sin, but the desire for sin, for sin will be wiped out and eradicated, and we will live into the fullness of the life that God intends for us. Hallelujah and amen. Let's unpack those two scenarios a little bit more. Let's look to, because this is a a matter of spiritual growth and discernment, all that, but this is a matter of wisdom, too. It's wise to make simply good choices of exercising self-control. So um, let's look at Proverbs. We've been going to Proverbs a lot in this. Oh, right there. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In the old days we know that when a city lacked the walls, they were um, just subject to, they were vulnerable to any and every invading force. So it was wise to set up a boundary, a wall. And in the same way in our lives, we can set up guardrails. We can simply begin to set up guardrails that might separate us from the opportunity to indulge in our sinful desires. Um, the, the in the time of Jesus uh, coming out of uh, the Greek into the Roman Empire, you know that the Greeks, and particularly the Stoics, they were actually pretty obsessive about this virtue of self-control. It is a very interesting thing to look at the rising interest in Stoicism in today's modern world. There's kind of been this renewed interest in the Stoic philosophy because we recognize sort of collectively as a people, self-control regulation is very difficult. And if I could get some handles on this, it, it, it could be helpful in life. And a lot of us, of course, would be familiar with the story of Homer's Iliad and Odysseus' journey. Uh, you know where I'm going with this? Whenever he was going to sail by the, the sirens, right? Do you remember this story? Uh, the war has gone on. He's gonna be going on this, this journey. And he's, he, he's warned, actually, by the goddess Circe, Uh, She she tells him, you're going to be on this journey and there's going to be this time when you're going to be going by this island and the sirens will sing their song and you will be so enchanted, so captivated, so allured by this opportunity that you will just lose your sense of control and you will sail your ship and crash on the shore and you will be destroyed and you will die. That does not sound like a good thing to indulge in. She actually gave him, it was her idea, actually. She, she gave it to him when you, when you read through the story. She says, but if you want to hear the song, um, stuff, uh, um, just tie yourself to a post and don't let yourself loose, and, and then you'll just go crazy, and, but you won't indulge it. So as you know how the story may go on, he takes the wax. He has all of his uh, crew stuff their ears with the wax. He is kind of lashed to that mast, and you know, so when he hears the siren song, you know, as the story goes, he wants it. He's 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 like crying out. But interestingly, and I think this is very interesting, the men not enchanted by the song, they are looking at the scene and they can see the sirens for the hideous monsters that they are, and the um, the wreckage of crashed ships, and it says the rotting corpses of the men who died on his shores. Um, so we can set up kind of in uh, Odysseus's wager or boundary or guardrail in our lives, right? And let's not dismiss how simple and effective controlling the environment of self-control can be. Let's go back to some of the things that we were just talking about. If you have a nicotine addiction, um, avoid going by the smoky alleys and shops and places where you might be able to indulge in that create a boundary create a guardrail around it Um, if you have a sweet tooth don't have marshmallows in your house or have them up high out of reach or put them in a safe and don't give the combination to anybody but your spouse or something like that and you can just extend this to numerous numerous areas of life if you struggle with addiction with alcoholism don't keep alcohol in the house get into AA. Get consistently before a group that will support you, encourage you, hold you accountable, and be there for you if you find yourself falling into temptation. If lust is a problem, then get an internet filter. Get an internet accountability partner. Give your passwords to somebody who will protect yourself. Remove that opportunity. Create that boundary. Create a guardrail so you don't fall into that sin. Uh, If you have a gambling problem, and gambling problems, by the way, are skyrocketing now that gambling is accessible online, get help Get support, Um, get, I don't even know how it would work out. Uh, Don't give them access to your bank account. Again, change passwords. There are guardrails that we can keep setting up in our lives so that we don't have the opportunity to indulge in sin. If you like to go to Amazon or to go shopping and just, "Ah, I'm feeling bad, I'm going to buy something, that'll make me feel good. (laughs) Don't go for a walk in the park again get Amazon off your, makes sense, we there, let's agree, let's agree as adults, yes, the easiest, the best, the first kind of face of self-control is just remove the opportunity and then you can't feed the desire and you can be blessed immensely in this and this of course is an area of discernment, let me add this before we go a a little bit deeper because ultimately you want to say something like this, food is good. But food is a good thing turned to an ultimate thing, becomes an idol. It becomes gluttony. And then all kinds of health problems can follow from that. So there is nuance to it. There is wisdom involved in it. And that's, again, why we have to go deeper. And going deeper means we need to begin to to indulge and exercise some decision-making around let's call them, or I don't say let's call them, they call them. It's not like I invented any of this stuff. I'm just repeating things I studied this week to you. This is the move from first order desires to second order desires. The first order desire Generally, even in the secular literature is what we would lump in with sinful desire. The first order desire is, I desire the marshmallow. I desire the cookie. I desire the lustful look at pornographic materials because it provides immediate satisfaction. The second order desire is to say, I don't want to want this more than I want good health. I don't want to want lustful indulgence more than I want purity and a strong marriage and a clean self-conscious. I don't want to want the things that I know will not be glorifying to God, a blessing to my neighbor, or helpful for myself. Let me say that again. The second order level is when we recognize I don't want to want anything that ultimately becomes an idol. I don't want to want anything that ultimately would not glorify God would not bless my neighbor and not be a blessing to myself. So, let's move deeper. We can control the environment, we can start exercising discernment, but then we need to kinda work on controlling our inner environment, our inner world. And this is where it really begins to intersect with this being a fruit of the spirit, because that is an interesting kind of juxtaposition. Self-control, but it's not a work of the self, it's a work of the spirit. Just live with a lexicon of sometimes confusing words, but this is where we want to say, God, I need you to help me in this area of self-control, so it's really not just about myself and my own strength and my own wisdom and my own discernment, because there is ultimately a great limit to all of that. But I do want a supernatural <laughs> infusion of strength and power of discernment of wisdom to exercise self-control that glorifies God and Neighbor and and self, powerful story here. Titus chapter two verses eleven through fourteen. Uh, we tested this, but I don't think it's going to work again. Nope. Let me try one more. Hey, all right, we got it going. So Titus chapter two here. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Let's just land on this before we're got. The, about to go a little bit deeper. Praise be to God, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Never doubt that we are offered salvation. This is the gift of Jesus Christ to us. That's always the foundation. I'm going to need your help, I think, in the back. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So, It is the foundation of our salvation that begins to teach us these things. It begins to give us wisdom and discernment. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, ungodly lives in this present age. This is such a powerful part of our witness. While we wait for the blessed hope, again, this is the foundation. This is our security. We're not like children who are tragically living in unsecure and unstable situations. We have this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Isn't that beautiful? Eager to do what is good. We should be eager, transform change to want to do what is good and great and glorious in the eyes of God. This happens by, of course, abiding more and more in the vine. The beginning of this series was that the foundation for living into the fruits of the Spirit was to be connected to the one who would grow those fruits. And that is why Jesus invites us to abide in Him. He is the vine We are the branches, and in him we are to bear great fruit. We are to bear a great and glorious fruit for the glory of God and the blessing of neighbor and the building up of our own lives. And so we are invited to do, (laughs) and here's where it gets a little fun for a second, we are invited to do the opposite of aversion therapy. You know what aversion therapy is? If you've seen the movie A Clockwork Orange, you know a horrible display of aversion therapy. It's awful. Don't watch it. I never even mentioned that. But aversion therapy says we're just going to connect averse things, horrible things, to things that we don't want to do. So it's, it's kind of the, it's the negative side of it. Whew, thank you, Jesus, so that we don't have to just subject ourselves to an aversion therapy of life to try and control ourselves. no. We are invited to take the light side, not the dark side, and say, I want to abide in you more and more so that I begin to desire the things, Jesus, that you again desire. Again, this is the rewiring, the transformation to the depth of, and there's always, and it, it is so beautiful, it is so beautiful. Um, you know, it was so confusing to Nicodemus, but Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus, just be born again. Just become a whole new person through me so that these desires can just be so fundamentally and foundationally changed that you will only want the things that God will want for you and for our world. Because there's another story about the Siren Song. Anybody else remember the story of the Argonauts? See, in the story of the Argonauts that continues the tale, a group of men, the Argonauts, is going on a journey and amongst that crew is a man named Orpheus. And Orpheus has been gifted a supernatural ability to play music. And as they were realizing they were coming within earshot of the siren song, Orpheus took his instrument and he began to play. And as the tale is told, he played a song so beautiful, it simply drowned out the siren song. And they passed by without incident. See, that's the invitation of Jesus Christ. singing singing to us the song of our salvation, the song of God's grace and redemption for our lives. Just like the old hymn tells us, we are to tune our ears to hear his praise, to tune our ears, to tune our lives, to tune our hearts to the praise, to the glory, to the songs of Jesus Christ. And that is the beautiful invitation of the life of faith. It is not an aversion therapy to get disgusted at the things that disgust God and don't glorify neighbor and don't help ourselves. It is to tune our ears, our hearts, our very lives to sing the songs that bring glory to God. Ultimately, what God is saying is, I want to stir, I want to awaken, I want to arouse your desires. I want to stir, awaken, and arouse them to desire the things, though, that Honor and glorify and bless me and you and your neighbor. Isn't that beautiful? I, I, I mean, the, the, the Christian faith is this beautiful invitation to desire the things that ultimately we know we want and to our be about. And yet we know we can get pulled in, we can get sidetracked, we can be drawn into those things of the flesh of the world that don't glorify God and bless us or bless others. But oh, let Him keep tuning our hearts, keep tuning our hearts and our lives to His glory. In his praise, and our redemption. And so, friends, here, here is the invitation. Let us begin to tune our hearts to desire the fruit of love. Let us tune our hearts every day to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen, friends? I'm going to go through the whole list, so just get ready and start reflecting on your own life. Let us tune our hearts daily to the joy of the Lord, to the joy of our salvation. Put the joy of salvation before you each and every day. Say a prayer. Read a little bit of the Bible. Remind yourself, like the beginning of that Titus passage, for the grace of God has appeared in the salvation offered to us through Jesus Christ. And rejoice that you have the sure salvation of your life through Jesus Christ. Tune your heart to His joy. Tune your heart to his peace. Oh, tune your heart to the peace of Jesus Christ that transcends, that rises above. I love that, transcends. It doesn't ignore, it doesn't deny, it doesn't turn a blind eye. No, no, it rises above the chaos, the difficulties of life. Tune your life to the peace of Jesus Christ. Tune your heart to the patience that demonstrates God's love for us. Tune your heart to a quietness and a patience that can be displayed in how you interact with your kids, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your friends. Tune your heart to the kindness, to the kindness that Christ has extended to you and that you're invited to extend to others. Tune your heart to the goodness. To live good lives, such that, and that's what that Titus passage is, so that the world will just witness your good deeds and rejoice in God. (laughs) Tune your hearts. Tune your hearts. I got to remember where we're at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Tune your heart to the faithfulness that you're invited to live into through Jesus Christ. Tune your hearts to gentleness. Live gentle lives. Our world, our, our our mean-spirited world needs gentle lives, and of course, tune your hearts to self-control. I'll invite uh, Kellen and the team to come up, and they're going to get ready to take us out in some worship. and And I'm and I'm going to do this here, so so you've got the idea. Let me let, let, let me recap if you're here. Of course, this final fruit of the Spirit of self-control. Yes, we can control the environment, and I invite you to exercise wisdom and discernment. If you are struggling in an area, ask for help. Get help. It's right there. Take that step. Let us go deeper, though, as a people of faith, and begin to retune and rework this inner environment, this inner world, and pray that our desires would only be stirred for things that bring glory and honor to God and to neighbor and to self. Begin to tune your heart to that song each and every day. And we're going to end, as promised, with this whole series. Good, I gave myself time. We're going to end this whole series, and it's not going to be on the screen because I'm going to invite you to hear the word of the Lord spoken to you. And we're just gonna read the whole passage of the fruit of the spirit once again. It's been a while, that has been nine weeks, <laughs> but it's a really good passage. And now as you hear it, I, I hope again, you'll hear it in that sense of like, I now have nine weeks of study, of meditation, of reflection, of doing a good work in the spirit in my lives. So here, this whole chunk, this whole section, it's gonna be 10 verses but it seats for us the context of inviting the spirit to grow and to develop these fruits in our lives. So yeah, just quiet your hearts. This is the word of God. We're gonna worship a little bit on the way out. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. It's a good word right there. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another, Humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Well, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Glory, glory.